Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. I don't like to brag, but uh, I just ate a sandwich with some pretty fancy lettuce on it. That's right, I got me some arugula. So I'm doing pretty good for myself. So here's the thing about arugula. As far as fancy lettuces go, it's pretty good. But I don't think there's a food that has a bigger disparity between what it is and what it sounds like it should be than arugula. I'm glad I didn't find out that it existed when I was a kid, because I would have been totally stoked to eat something called arugula. I would assume that it was like a steak filled with butter and chili peppers, because it sounds like an exclamation. Like, arugula is a word that sounds like it's what a cartoon bear would say if it saw a sexy ham in a dress. And then it turns out that it's a kind of bitter, slightly peppery lettuce. That is one hell of a switcheroo. It kind of seems like a food that was named specifically to prank children. Which is a pretty good idea, actually. So, from now on, I'm going to start calling turnips kazowies. Although, come to think about it, rutabaga might have beaten me to the punch on that one. Damn it, food names. You're so weird you make parody redundant. Anyway, enough of this frippery. Let's get down to the serious business of talking about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. Even among the most animal-minded word mavens, there are quite a few names for groups of ravens. A conspiracy or treachery are two such terms used for these black and squawking eaters of worms. But perhaps this listener's favorite is an unkindness. Now how many ravens are there in this synopsis? Synopsis. Thanks, Devin. New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Number 5. February, 1985. The Terror of Trigon. Written by Marf Wolfman and George Perez. Drotted by George Perez. Inkted by Romeo Tangal. Lettered by John Costanza. Colored by Adrienne Roy. And edited by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Teen Titan Roll Call. Nightwing. Kid Flash. Wonder Girl. Lilith. Beast Boy. Cyborg. Starfire. Jericho, a little, and Raven, maybe. Previously in the New Teen Titans. For years, Raven had been struggling to repress her emotions for fear that her demonic bad dad Trigon would crawl out of her bird-shaped soul tummy and take over the planet. Things already weren't going great in that regard when some horrifically poor decision-making by Jericho pushed the Azerothian empath over the edge and allowed Trigon to take stewardship over his daughter's soul. Bad job, Jericho! Raven disappeared from the Titan Tower, mysterious black storm clouds blanketed the Earth, and the sound of demonic laughter filled the air. Aided by former teammates Lilith, a temperamentally telepathic teen, and Wally West, aka Kid Flash, the gang set off in search of their absent Davian avatar Amiga. Rather than putting up flyers and having her paged over the store's intercom, the gang decided to conduct a seance. 
Lilith focused her occasionally applicable occult abilities on a pair of rings that Raven had left behind, and the gang held hands and tried to contact their elusive erstwhile associate. The ceremony had some surprising results. First, Raven's disembodied voice told the Titans to fuck off and go away, because she was evil now and liked it that way. Then Raven's mom, the sorceress Arella, started speaking through Lilith and informed the rest of the gang that the mystical city of Azeroth was under attack from Trigon's forces and needed their aid. The Titans found themselves teleported to the gates of Azeroth, but were too late to be of much assistance. When the adolescent adventurers attempted to intervene, they were not only attacked by Trigon's demonic minions, but rebuked by the weirdo beardos who lived in the magical metropolis, who seemed perfectly content to be murdered by demons. Well, good news, weird beards! You can finally scratch Get Obliterated by the Forces of Evil off your to-do list, because within minutes of our hero's arrival, that is just what happened. Somehow, the rings that Lilith had used to contact Raven protected our perplexed protagonists, which left them and Arella as the only living creatures in the pile of rubble that was once Azeroth. Nor were the eldritch fashion accessories done displaying narratively convenient nonsense powers. Lilith, who had been acting even more strangely than usual, said that she could sense that the Titans were needed back on Earth, and used Raven's rings to teleport herself and her teenage teammates to New York. Upon arrival, our heroes were dismayed to find that during their brief absence, Trigon and a newly eviled-up Raven had done some pretty significant redecorating. The buildings, including the Titan Tower, had all been calcified into uninhabitable stone, demon skulls were randomly strewn about, and strange columns littered the streets which were adorned with the contorted living statues of tortured souls that the city's population had been transformed into. Yes sir, the place was a real shit show. While our titular teenagers were still getting their bearings, Raven showed up. Much like the Big Apple itself, Raven too had undergone a dramatic makeover. Much like her diabolical dad, the newly nefarious Enchantress now sported scarlet skin and a set of superfluous eyeballs. With her proud papa perched passively and probably pooping on his throne atop the Titan Tower, Raven zapped Jericho into a coma, then transformed Nightwing, Wonder Girl, Kid Flash, Beast Boy, and Starfire's bodies into one of those tortured soul columns that seemed to be all the rage in Trigon's New York. Lilith told her four-eyed former friend to knock it off, but Raven declined and told Lilith and Arella that each of the Titans was now locked in a personal nightmare where they would be forced to battle an evil version of themselves. If they gave in to their anger and killed their diabolical doppelganger, then that would somehow mean that their souls had been corrupted and they would be servants of Trigon. Oh no! One by one, the Titans succumbed to their dark desires and slaughtered the sinister sides of their soul selves. As soon as the last Titan's corruption was complete, Raven laughed and freed the evil versions of our heroes, who were brimming with Trigon's dark energy, from their stone encasement. Raven ordered the Trigonified teens to kill Lilith and Arella, but was horrified when the purportedly perfidious protagonists began attacking her instead. Grinning malevolently as they did so, the corrupted crime fighters murdered the shit out of Raven. Arella was dismayed at her daughter's demise, but in a strange but familiar voice, Lilith told her to chill out. This was all part of her plan. Once Raven was dead, the Titans turned back to their normal selves and were shocked and alarmed at their recent actions. They weren't the only ones upset by Raven's violent death. For once his daughter's crimson corpse hit the concrete, Trigon finally rose from his makeshift T-shaped toilet. With malice radiating from all four of his enormous eyeballs, the gargantuan jerkhole confronted our heroes and informed them in no uncertain terms that they, along with the rest of the planet, were irrevocably fucked. Gadzooks! What insidious plans does Trigon have for the Earth's inhabitants? Is Raven really dead?
And why did the evil-infused titans turn on Raven? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so as near as I can tell, he wants to invest their souls in some kind of a cosmic Ponzi scheme. No. Well, yes, but only kind of. It's a real Schrodinger's Raven. And, uh, because... Shit. Look, it really doesn't come up, so I'm gonna say... Magnets? Yeah, it's probably got something to do with magnets. Trigon is pretty peeved that a bunch of teenagers murdered his daughter, which seems reasonable. He's also about 400 feet tall, which seems less reasonable. The vengeful Vermilion villain yells at the Titans about how pissed off he is. He also says that he now controls all four billion souls on the planet and is going to use them up to get back to his home dimension where he used up a hundred billion souls to get here. But once he gets back there, he'll have even more souls for some reason. Okay. Well, I guess you gotta spend souls to make souls. Soul conversion rates aside, the Titans have a lot of feelings about what just happened. They check on Jericho to make sure he's still in a coma. Yup, he is. Lilith gets a faraway look in her eyes and tells her teammates that Trigon is very powerful and very mad, which it seems like they probably could have picked up on from context clues. Wally decides he's sick of this shit and he's going to attack the big red galoot. Dick points out that that's probably a silly thing to do, but Wally's all like, Fuck that, he's going to kill us either way, so I may as well go out punching and yelling at him. Good for you, Wally. Galvanized into action, the rest of the team joins Wally in a headlong charge at Trigon. Well, most of them do anyway. Dick's about to join the rest of the gang when Lilith grabs his shoulder and says cryptically, No, Richard, now is not the time. Richard, huh? Interesting. The other Titans have nearly reached the object of their fury when Trigon casually picks up the Titan Tower and drops it on their heads. Ouch. Then he strolls over to where Dick and Lilith are standing and kind of smushes Nightwing into the ground with the butt of his scepter. Gee, good thing Dick stayed put. Thanks for the heads up, Lilith. Trigon and Arella start yelling at each other about which of them is more pissed off that their daughter is dead. While the grown-ups are fighting, Lilith sneaks off. After a minute or two, Trigon gets sick of arguing with Arella and tells her that he's going to go stand on top of a building and channel the planet's soul power to charge himself up for the big trip home. I'm going to assume he doesn't mean the James Brown kind of soul power. I mean, he's got souls, but I don't know if he's super bad. He's super evil, but that's not really the same thing. Anyway, as Trigon prepares to destroy the Earth as part of his big payback eh, for Raven's death, the Teen Titans blast their way out of the rubble of their destroyed headquarters. Turns out that Starfire was able to use her starbolts to shield her allies from the brunt of the poop-filled building that was dropped on their heads. Hooray! The gang rushes over to check on Dick. He's a little worse for wear, but is mostly okay. Beast Boy changes into an elephant and digs his buddy out of the rubble. Wally's like, We should probably just give up and die. But the rest of the Titans give him essentially the same speech about at least going down fighting that he gave the rest of them a few pages ago. As the team berates Wally for being a whiny little hypocrite, the ghostly image of Lilith's face appears in front of them and tells them not to give up hope. This seems like a weird way for Lilith to communicate with them, because she's just a couple of blocks away and could probably just yell, and also the Titans all have walkie-talkies, but whatever. 
I guess if you can Obi-Wan somebody, you may as well Obi-Wan somebody. Lilith goes on to say that Azar, the founder of Azeroth and Raven and Arella's mentor, will help guide them to victory. Hearing that a dead lady they've never met is on their side is all the pep talk our heroes needed. They head over to meet up with Lilith and Arella, over by where Raven died. Arella's still pretty bummed out about her kid dying and all, but Lilith tells her to chill out, it's cool. Gee, is Lilith making a play for Donna's grief counseling crown? Arella's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But then she realizes that Lilith is talking to her with Azar's voice. Oh. Lilith slash Azar is like, I'll explain later. Now help me put these magic rings on your dead daughter's fingers. In a state of shock, Arella complies. Do you think Lilith slash Azar is trying to set up some kind of a weekend at Bernie's situation? Look, Trigon, Raven's fine. She's wearing rings and everything, just like an alive person. Not if you're not dead, Raven. See, she's fine. While Lilith slash Azar and Arella are engaging in their corpse-related shenanigans, Trigon is standing atop the World Trade Center buildings holding his scepter in the air, in kind of a he-man, by-the-power-of-Grayskull-I-have-the-power type of pose. He talks some more about how great slash awful he is, and starts to open up a portal to his home dimension. Uh Uh-oh. If comic books have taught me anything, it's that dimensional portals are bad news. And... Also that I should probably stay away from circuses, although that doesn't really apply in this situation. And I like to think I would have figured that one out on my own anyway. Just as the portal is about to open, the Titans attack Trigon. Starfire and Cyborg expend all of their energy to blast him in the shoulder, which the ginormous jerkwad seems to find mildly annoying. Then Beast Boy flies at full speed into one of the big red fuck's eyeballs, transforming from a falcon into a huge crocodile as he does so. Hooray! Then Wonder Girl hurls a boulder into one of his other eyeballs. All this effort does little more than distract Trigon, but that's all it was intended to accomplish. By this time, Arella and Lilith have finished putting the rings on Raven's fingers. Once the jewelry is in place, Raven's body starts levitating and sparkles like a disco ball. So, I guess it's not a weekend at Bernie's thing after all. More like a weekend at Bernie's 2, where Bernie's body gets reanimated by a voodoo priestess. Man, what a weird franchise. Andrew McCarthy's questionable filmography notwithstanding, things are looking up for the good guys. Turns out that before Raven got fully trigoned up, she shoved the nice bits of her soul into the rings. The rings also absorbed all the souls of the Azerathians when Trigon's forces destroyed that city. Raven's recently resurrected spirit focuses the concentrated soul energy that has been stored in the rings into one long sustained blast of goodness, which she hurls at Trigon. As a being of pure evil, the quadrocular crumbum cannot withstand the light and purity of Raven's attack. He bellows in pain as his body is disintegrated. Trigon has finally been destroyed, once and for all. Or at least once and for now. After her demonic bad dad has been defeated, a smiling ghost version of Raven rises above the city and blinks out of existence. Instantly, New York returns to the way it was before Trigon made his unsettling renovations. Lilith snaps back to normal and is like, What happened? Good question, Lilith. As the other Titans drop Raven off at the hospital and nurse their own respective wounds, Wally and Dick have a heart-to-heart. Wally feels bad about what an asshole he was to Raven, and hopes that she isn't dead. 
He points out how weird it is that they just went through all that surreal horror, and now the city looks like nothing happened to it. Dick is like, well... And he gestures over to the shattered remains of the Titan Tower, which an enormous demon pooped in and dropped on their friends' heads. Fair point, Dick. Maybe for the next version of your headquarters, you guys should see if the architect can use a more load-bearing font for your giant T. Like, maybe an Adobe Garamond. Ooh, or maybe like a Zapf Chancery. You got a nice sturdy base and some shock-absorbing serifs. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. Great? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, Lisa was gone for like a week and a half, and she got back from France a couple days ago, so it's nice to have her back. That's all, it. All That's is nice. well. Good. Yeah. So, speaking about things that are less nice and are terrifying, <laughs> what'd you think about this comic book? Sorry, yeah. I'm leading the witness there. Yeah, no, bit. it's okay. Very spooky. Yeah. Just right off the bat, this is one hell of a cover. It is super Halloween-y, and it's great. It is. I was saying, I think this might be maybe the best cover we've seen from Perez so far, and that's saying quite a bit. I don't know that it necessarily is, but it's definitely in the conversation. Lisa saw it, and she was pointing out it's like very surrealist in a lot of ways. We see that Titan's bodies are contorting to form the image of Trigon's face, and it's really, really effective and really creepy, and... Looks kind of like a jack-o'-lantern, but then when you look closer, it really is like Cyborg and Jericho are forming the lips. Starfire's spacefire hair is forming his second set of eyebrows, and it's just really, really well done. And yeah, back to the, like, surrealist tip. One of the things that Lisa pointed out is with surrealism, a lot of times a running motif will be the contorted naked bodies of women forming a different image. And both Starfire and Donna do look as though they maybe just have their clothes painted on mm -hmm. in this. But it's it's a very effective image, and e even little things like you can't really tell if his horns are his horns or if they are formed out of Wally and uh, Beast Boy's arms doing the cartoon cactus thing. Mm -hmm. It's just really cool and pretty scary. Yeah, all black and orange and yellow. Very seasonally appropriate, given it, that it is October. Now. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, the spookiest of months. Indeed. So, cover aside, what did you think of this issue? Um, I feel like this is a running thing with me in, in this story arc, but I'm not 100% sure I understand what happened with their victory over Trigon at the end. I feel like there's great opportunity for some really cool, complicated shit, and maybe that is what happened, and I just couldn't parse how it was explained to me. I don't think there's a lack of complication, certainly. We'll get back to what Trigon's scheme has been this whole time in a little bit. Overall, I was kind of confused as to exactly what happened here. There were some things that were set up that didn't really pay off, that I feel like didn't get explained. And reading the story, I'm very split on it, because overall, I thought it was a very satisfying story. I thought it was very effective emotionally and satisfying as a completion of a story arc, but it makes more poetic sense than it does narrative sense, I gotta say. So I feel like I want to get out of the way that I do feel like it was a good issue and that it worked, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And a lot of that I, I 
tempt to ascribe all of that to the art team, but I mean, part of that is the way that it's set up with the writing. And I think it really works in that way. But if you, like, try to dissect it rationally, there's a lot of it that just doesn't hold together. But it almost feels unfair to judge it on those merits, because, like, if you read it like a poem, it works, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like if you try to dissect, like, Shall I compare thee to a summer day? It's like, no, you shouldn't compare that lady to a summer day. She's got hair. Summer day doesn't have hair. You know? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Wait a minute. If she's more temperate than a summer day, that means that she's got a lower temperature, which means that she probably is like uh, maybe 80 degrees. And that means she's probably dead or very sick. Yeah. Okay. So if we look at it like that, <laughs> yeah, deeply satisfying. <laughs> so the pacifism of the Azerathians was essentially to weaponize their souls against Trigon. Right. So doesn't that just get stuck in a loop of you'd think. Wrongness? And it seems like kind of contradictory that it's just like we need to be pacifists and devo devote our entire soul and very being to the idea of pacifism so that we can be an effective weapon. Right. Yeah, it is a confusing concept cuz basically it seems like that should negate the whole premise. But, I mean, it works because, you know, Azar is able to basically load up the ghosts of her buddies into the super soaker that is Raven's dead body and squirt the hell out of them at Trigon. Man, I am feeling pretty sad for Raven's character with the end of this story arc because it seems like everything that has led up to the death of her physical body and her the release of her spirit form has had a lot to do with her body just being this thing that other people are making use of whether it's jericho or whether it's trigon or whether it's or even, azar or even wally in his like mm -hmm. dream sequence where he was tempted by his evil self yeah it definitely does carry that across, and it's uncomfortable in a way that I don't know if it's intended to be. Oh, I don't think it is at all. Yeah. I just think they're like, oh, she's this mystical creature, and powers flow through her. But, you know, <laughs> reading it today, I guess, or I don't know if it's today or just, or what, but I was like, dang, that's harsh. Yeah, I mean, like, that it carries through to the point where even after she dies, her body is, I guess it's reanimated by her to a certain extent, but it does in a way, seem like they're weaponizing her corpse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really creepy. I put these rings on this mostly dead... All, all the way dead at that point. This is part of it that's very confusing Didn't to me. did they say she was not quite all the way dead? I think she, her body was all the way dead. Oh. But her soul was stored in the rings along with Azar. And then they were able to just, like, fill her corpse back up with her soul and then kind of trojan horse all of the other souls via her body's connection with trigon right cause, and then just like splat him at him because he had put all his like a lot of his his bad stuff his bad energy into her and so that established a link by which then the good stuff from the azar guys could get shot back into him yeah and mess his game up yeah it's like shields are down everybody in we mm -hmm. yeah okay everybody jump in the trigon pool Oof. and pee our pure lightness being into it <laughs> like i've never experienced <laughs> oh boy yeah right after the pleasure like he's never experienced the earth moving inside him. <laughs> Did you find the panel after that where he... Doesn't he look super surprised? Like, yes. 
didn't know. Yeah, that I, is. Was I reading into that, or you had the no, same? No, I had thought. the same thought. Where, yeah, not just surprise, but more than goosed. Yes. So I think what happened with Raven is she learned how to split her soul up, like she'd been trained since a baby to know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so when she felt like she was at the tipping point with her evilness, she split off her soul, or at least the good part of her soul, and jammed it in the ring and then let Trigon take over her body. And it was all part of like a shell like game. switcheroo shell game mm-hmm. thing. So then Trigon is influencing her body, and that's the evil being that's attacking the Titans and shit. And then once the evil titans who are not all the way evil and are somehow controlled by Lilith, which never gets explained, nope. kill Raven, then that body's dead and then they can take it over and put all the good in her, but it will still have the connection to Trigon. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm pretty sure that's kind of what happened there. But like I said, the part that was really unsatisfying for me was there's a two-story arc that is primarily concerned with the Teen Titans playing a game of why are you murdering yourself against their evil halves. And it's set up like, oh, you'll see soon why this was happening and how once their souls go over to Trigon, then Lilith can control them. And there is not even a hand-waving mention made to that. There's a lot in this issue that is, I think if you had picked this up independently of the rest of the issues, it would make a lot of sense, and you would be like, oh, I must have missed some pretty important stuff, but you would kind of get what's happening. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be recommended for that. Like I talked about with the Defenders issue, Jim Shooter had a philosophy, every issue is going to be somebody's first issue, so you need to have some reset and make it readable. And that, I think, works in this, but what doesn't work is I feel like there needs to be some reward for people who this isn't their first issue. And there are things like like the lack of payoff for the evil titans thing and also it really annoyed me when arella is talking to lilith and she's like again as she did at the end of the last issue wait a minute that voice i recognize that voice that's azar did you forget all that shit lady like that was not that long ago that you had that same realization like even if you just add the word again to that sentence you know Mm mm-hmm I thought I heard that voice before, but it is. It is Azor. You know? Some, something like that would have felt more like, I don't know, like I wasn't being cheated out of part of a story. Do you think that Azar explained when she was setting up the cult what the end game was? I think she must have. Because they were chill with the idea of being murdered so that they could be loaded up into the super soaker corpse of raven Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know it seemed like the way that it was narrated in this issue was you know at long last the super complicated plan is coming to fruition yay and uh i don't know it's like am i the only one who's kind of (laughs) scratching my head about this i wonder if all those azerathians were like hey you know this is our eternal reward (laughs) yeah this really i just get shot into the big red dude (laughs) we all blow up yeah, I guess so. I mean, they had a good run of it. Yeah, a long time living peacefully. Yeah. Wearing some probably pretty plush robes. Yeah, I gotta believe those things are pretty comfy. High thread count. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You get a nice, big, bushy beard. Big most beard. of you. Mm-hmm. Some beautiful uh, Greco-Roman architecture. Mm-hmm. Some Doric columns. Probably not a lot of uh, 
negative self-talk or other burdens of like a normal mind and soul. Right. And, you know, if it gets a little bit chilly, not only do you have those robes, but your uh, smug sense of self-satisfaction can keep you warm. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, pretty decent deal for their part. Who gets a little less plush of a deal is, like we discussed, Raven, who this really does make her more into a tragic figure, that it was, she was conceived of as a tool, and frankly was conceived as a tool Mm -hmm. against Trigon really her whole life, and it's a pretty tragic story for her. So we talked a little bit about how Azar was using the souls of the Azerathians. Were you able to get a clear picture of Trigon's stance on souls? Because it seemed like some kind of a complicated junk bond trading system that he had set up. Yeah, yeah, it's just a, some sort of energetic currency where if you have enough of them, you can do some sort of switcheroo between dimensions and breathe new life into uh, exhausted but, but ones. Listening to him talk about it, made it sound like it was like a con artist scheme. Mm. Like, it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I have a hundred billion souls. I just can't get to them because they're in my dimension. So I'm going to, I'm willing to spend all of those to get to this other dimension that has four billion souls. And all I need from you is four billion souls. And I'll put that in my bank account, and then within two weeks, you'll have access to this hundred billion souls, um, which I destroyed, but then I will use these four billion souls to repopulate the original universe that I took the hundred billion souls from. And it's like, whoa, is is this like a soul Ponzi scheme he's got going on? Um, I would not take that offer. No, no. I've gotten a couple of emails from Trigon, and I'm like, you know, this sounds pretty good, but there's got to be a catch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I'll hang on to my soul the way it is and follow through with my original plan to eventually squirt it at an antlered demon. Good choice. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> I was raised Azerathian. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, his whole soul, like, soul shuffling, like, shell game. I was like, wait, what is going on with this? And yeah, Azar's plan, too, is like, no, my whole plan was set up to defeat Trigon, who I did create by casting off the bad part of all the Azerathian souls. But then I can use the good part to eventually, thousands of years from now, defeat him after he's eaten a bunch of universes. Well, no, because didn't it say that he had been around since like the beginning of everything and but he got strengthened by the negative stuff? That's what it out? says here. But previously it had been established that he had been created from the, uh, the trimmings of the Azerathian's evil parts of their souls. Yeah, I think this is a retcon where it's now suddenly it was like, oh, wait a minute, that's not going to work. No, 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 we just fed him the soul sausage, but he was already hungy-hungy for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th there was a lot of stuff in here that I was just like, like I said, reading the whole story, I was like, wow, that was really good, and I really liked it. But... What the fuck happened? Yeah. And then going back and looking at the details of it, I'm like, this doesn't really work, or it shouldn't really work, but it, it did. And also, I mean, if we are operating on the premise that there's a one-to-one -one exchange and canceling out rate between a unit of good soul energy and evil soul energy, if the thing that destroyed Trigon was 
the sum total of all the good energy from the Azerathians, uh-huh. then he would have had to have been made up only of their bad energy because then it's 50-50 and it cancels out. Right. So there's another hole in the narrative. Well, okay, you could look at it, though, as, like, he is not used to the uncut shit. Like, this is pure, <laughs> pure good soul energy. You know and he's that? used to having some soul energy that's been stepped on a little bit. Yeah. So, like, by a dealer. So, like, this is just uncut. And he just kind of OD'd on it. Couldn't handle it. It's like, um, what was the character in Revenge of the Nerds? Do you have any idea of the street value of this mountain? It's pure snow. Okay, that was Booger. But you're quoting him from... I always held that it was the same character. But you're quoting Better Off Dead. Which was the same actor. Was it the same Playing actor? a very similar role. Oh, thank goodness. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's right. There wasn't a skiing thing in the nerd movies. I Possibly in the second one, Nerds in Paradise. But uh, those are both movies that I'm like, just the bits of piece and pieces of them that I do remember. I'm like, oh, can't revisit that. Nope. That will not hold up well. Oh, no, I'm certain of it. Man, I just watched. Did you ever see the movie Hiding Out? Mm, no. It was a John Cryer movie from the mid-80s where he plays a stockbroker who the mob is trying to kill because he is going to inform on the head of the mob. And so he goes and hangs out with his cousin and has to be undercover. I watched it again the other night. For the most part, it held up better than I was expecting, but the very premise of the movie is he goes undercover at a high school and falls in love with a high school student. Oh. as a 29-year-old stockbroker. And then they end up hooking up. They kiss a lot. I think it's implied that they don't actually have sex. But still, definitely not okay. Uh. And then the happy end of the movie is he informs on the mob boss. He decides to go back to school and become a teacher. Oh, no. <laughs> don't let this guy be a teacher. <laughs> oh, and God. he ends up meeting up with her when she's an undergrad at the school and they keep dating. Uh. I got a real Terry Long. <laughs> it's a total hands. Terry Long situation. Oh. oh, I wonder if that is Terry Long's backstory. This is like 87. I wonder if that was the informant. Oh, man. <sighs> what a strange and tangled web. <laughs> Indeed. One of the other things that came up with this issue that was confusing to me is Lilith. Because for the past two issues, she has been completely inscrutable and seems to know everything that's going to happen. I think Azar's been mostly talking through her. And parts of this issue, that's happening. But we also get thought bubbles from Lilith, implying that she doesn't know what's going on with the plan. It's really, like, are there times when she's being possessed by Azar or Raven? And then other times when she isn't? And at the times when she isn't, when she's talking to the Titans, is she just relying on her old Lilith trick of just fake it till you make it that was my assumption I, so i was thinking well okay azar's probably busy with the whole plot against trigon and i don't know maybe she needs to go get a cup of coffee right. or tea and so she's or just something. like lilith cover for me yeah just uh just like, she's like oh, okay what's the plan she's like you'll figure it out don't worry about it just pretend you know everything that's gonna happen i sense you are dead <laughs> there's a lot of death yeah it would make sense if she was faking it because there was the time where the other Titans go off to confront Trigon. And she's like, no, Dick, you need to stay back. It's not your time. You stay right where you are. And what happens with that is the other Titans, uh, Trigon tries to snub them out with the butt of the Titan Tower that he'd been using as a toilet in the previous issue. Which, oof, insult to injury. No kidding. 
but Starfire is able to protect all of the Titans that are under there. And then Trigon comes over and tries to stamp Nightwing out with his little club thing and almost kills him and buries him under some rubble. It seems like he would be less injured if he had just stuck with the original Titans. Neither group is dead. Neither group is particularly extra distracting at that point. There was no reason why he had to stay back and not go with the other Titans. Is that just Lilith playing up like, oh, uh, yep, just keep doing everything. It's all part of an ineffable plan that I can't discuss with you. You know, I'm thinking if I'm a wolfman, I want a Lilith, just in case things get out of hand. <laughs> yeah? Just as a, uh... I'm going along, I'm constructing this thing, I'm like, oh, this is really... Wait a minute. Ah, oh, shit, this doesn't make sense. Oh, that's just Lilith. <laughs> So her superpower is exclusively as a DSX Machina scapegoat for Wolfman's plot holes. Well, not all the time, but, <laughs> but in this when issue, necessary. Yeah. Man, it seems like maybe I could be a Teen Titan. <laughs> yeah. Just go in there and be like, what should we do? It's like, ah, oh, just keep doing whatever you're doing. All part of the plan. Mm-hmm. Ex- except you, Nightwing. <laughs> you go over there. Wait, why shouldn't I do that? Uh, part part of the plan. It's uh, ineffable. Mm-hmm. You know what that means. Can't be effed with. Did it crack you up every time Trigon referred to being trapped in the netherverse? <laughs> no. Oh, I, no, was, it, I, I kept thinking but... that was just him referring to his bathing suit area. Oh. Oh, there's a whole netherverse down there. <laughs> no, that is one of the rare instances in which we did not see the same unintended joke. Sorry. That's okay. I think that's a good thing to, you know, in nether regions. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Right. Do you think maybe using the Titan Tower as a toilet, despite how disrespectful it was for Trigon to do that, may have backfired on him to an extent? Do you think if it hadn't been filled with demon poo, then Starfire might not have instinctively just thrown up the extra blast to try to protect the Titans? Like, maybe just that extra split second? Mm, Because having a giant thing of poo fall on you is worse than having a building fall on you? I think they're both bad, but I feel like with the poo, there might be more of an instinctive just, like, protection. Like, oh, God, no! You know? Uh, sure. I mean, which would you rather have fall on you? A building or a building filled with demon poo? They're both gonna kill me, right? Yeah. You um, really don't care? I mean, how does how do you know? It's like a split second thing. It just smells real bad. Yeah. Like maybe she gets a little extra warning because of that. Oh, I see. Yeah. I okay. think that's, you know, possible. It's well, possible. I think that's where he really was hoisted by his own poo-tard. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. But, okay, though, it, the building's not going to be filled with it because he's been sitting there for, what, a week? Yeah! And he's not just, like, continuously Do you see how big time. he... Or I think he kind of was. Just the whole he, time. He do know how many souls he ate. So many. Four billion souls. You gotta think a soul is a pretty lightweight... I think you eat four billion anythings, you're gonna be on the Titan Tower for a while. That's true. I guess the soul is kind of like meringues, where they're light and fluffy, but they're really calorie-dense. Yeah, exactly. So you gotta... Yeah, it's gonna... It, that tea was definitely filled to the brim. I think it's kind of a mixed blessing that at the end, the tower's gone. Like, all the rest of the destruction of the city seems to have been fixed, but I think probably for the best that the Titan Tower is not put 
back where it was because even if it went back to normal and it, you get it cleaned out, you're going to know. Mm-hmm. You're not going to want to hang out in that holodeck anymore. Mm-hmm. I feel like even if you get the whole thing steam cleaned, you're better off just throwing out the tower, building a new one. Yeah, yeah, time to start over. Yeah, although Dick seems pretty upset about it. He sure does. Like, to the point where Wally's like, man, I can't believe Raven's dead and everything else is fine. And Dick's like, well, not everything. Look, our building's gone. (laughs) Yeah, he's bummed. Yeah. And is kind of devaluing Raven's sacrifice a little bit. Yeah, but I lost a building. Yeah, it was shaped like a T. Yes, that's one of the easier letters, but how many buildings shaped like letters do you even see out there? Yeah, okay, there are sans-serif I's, I guess, or lowercase L's. But I mean, like, really shaped like a letter. Few and far between. He did not even pay for that. That was Gar's money. Yeah. Right? I'm assuming Bruce might have chipped in a little bit, which, you know, might be eaten away at Robin's inheritance. I'm assuming he's the heir. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Or at least the executor. I mean, yeah, I don't think his salary at the circus that we never fucking get to see is going to pay for a T-shaped skyscraper. No way. I think maybe maybe Mr. Jupiter kicked him down a little bit. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's well, like, uh, make it shaped like a giant J. It's like, oh, yeah, we totally will. And then they just never finished the bottom part. Oh. <laughs> that old trick. Yep. Oh, sorry, Mr. J. We ran out of money. Happy to complete the rest of the J-Wing if you... Send me 100 billion souls. (laughs) (laughs) There was a bit of confusion with Donna, where a couple of times in this issue and the last one, she mentions, I can't pick anything up on the radio waves. Where's that coming from? I had the same question. I thought maybe she had a small radio that she hadn't had before and was just like, like one of those disaster things. I was wondering if, because my initial thought was, I wonder if they screwed up and gave some of her speech bubbles to Cyborg and vice versa, because it would make sense that he would pick up on radio waves. Or maybe we missed something in like a Wonder Woman story where like she can, because she glides on air currents, maybe she can read radio waves too. Mm -hmm. But then I remembered back really close to her first appearance, it may even have been her first appearance, when they were at the coastal town with the go bikes. Oh, yeah. All the teens had transistor radios then. Maybe she still just has a transistor radio with her in case she needs to play Beatles music at a giant flaming eyeball. That's pretty cute. I hope she kept it as like a memento. Uh Uh-huh. I I like to think that. So I'm going to say that's the explanation for that. That's fair. I like that. Yeah. Let's let's, let's keep that. In case you ever need to fight a separated man again. Mm Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And keep it as a trophy like uh, Batman with his giant penny and his dinosaur. Play some groovy tunes. Yeah. Call it good. Start dancing. Make all the other teammates leave the uh, Titan Tower for four days. It's very <laughs> uncomfortable. Well, she's so good at undulating. I don't know if there's a way to do show notes or something. I don't know if there's a way that we can remember what episode we talked about that in. It's not that easy, is it? No, it is not. Somebody was mentioning they were listening to our back catalog the other day. I was like on social media. I think it was on Twitter. And they mentioned something about... I'm listening to the Teen Titan Wasteland back catalog, and they worked out how much a golden horseshoe would weigh and how much it would be worth, and I'm like, I have vague recollections of that, but I don't remember what we were talking about, why we were talking about horseshoe smuggling, how much a horseshoe weighed, like any, I was like, oh, that seems like something that happened at one point. 
I don't remember anything about an episode as soon as it's done. And like when I'm writing up the show description, I do it as soon as I finish editing. And so I've just spent like six to eight hours listening to us talk. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember a single goddamn thing that we said. I have to write it down as I go or I will just be totally blank when it comes to write a show description. Well, I guess this is one of the things we can use our, we can find an intern on LinkedIn. Oh, totally. To help us uh, create a database. Mm -hmm. Do a transcript of each show. (laughs) Oh, humanity. (laughs) Wow, that would be cruel. Oh, actually, there's probably a... Like a software thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, speech to text, we'll do that. Yeah, but it'll be like Google Translate. It'll be like, why did they spend 45 minutes talking about waffle surgery? (laughs) Why not? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we may have talked about that for at least 45 (laughs) minutes. I think somebody needs to explain to Gar how promises work. Yeah, that was a weird turn of phrase that he had. It was very in character, though, I felt like, to just be like, I understand the shape of how banter works. This seems like a banter response, even though it doesn't fit what was actually said. Because Starfire says, I love you. Uh, after he rescues Dick, does a really good job turning himself into an elephant, mm-hmm. lifts a injured Dick out of a pile of rubble. <laughs> I mean, probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we... <laughs> Top to bottom. Yep. All banged up. From the rooter to the tutor. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, he lifts up an injured Dick out of the rubble, and Starfire says, oh, Beast Boy, I love you. And he answers, promises, promises. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't make sense, but I feel like not really understanding how banter works is a pretty Beast Boy thing. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it's out of character or that if we had Asaka, he would be that. Right. It's just... It's, yeah. It's very much in character. Yeah, he's the... trying to be creepy, but like he also just... I think one of my favorite descriptions of Beast Boy is that he fundamentally does not understand what sex is or how it works. Hmm. And so he will constantly allude to it, but like when Starfire called his bluff and stood up and was naked, and he was just like, what? I don't know what to do with this. Mm -hmm. This is, oh no. Yeah, that was hilarious. (laughs) Right, but then when he's talking, he's all like, oh, sexy sex sex, that's what I like. Mm -hmm. I like to do sex at ladies. Yeah, ah, beast boy. I mean, honestly, in this issue... I would take a hundred Beast Boys over a Wally West. Ah, He's such a fucking turd in this issue. And high-speed vacillating on decision-making inter-issue. Where, at the beginning, he's just like, I'm gonna rush in and fight Trigon. And they're like, we can't really do anything against him right now. He's like, I don't care. And then he tries to, and he gets stepped on like all the Titans do. Him a little bit sooner than the others, because of his heart condition, which apparently he has. Mm -hmm. And then for the whole rest of the issue, when the Titans are like, we're going to go fight Trigon. He's like, why bother? No one can beat Trigon. And they all say, almost repeat his speech to him from the beginning of the issue. And he is unconvinced. I did find it satisfying that basically his whole team, yeah, gives him shit for being such a, such a downer. Yeah. You know, by way of trying to motivate him, not just being cruel or anything, but... But either way, frankly. He had it coming. Yeah. So, before we get into the minutiae, I did want to bring up the letters column of the issue. 
Because a couple of things come up in it that I think are pretty interesting. I wish they would put the letters in the uh, the trade copies. I it would be would nice if they big. did. So one of the things that comes up in the letters column is in a response that Marv Wolfman has. He mentions that Harlan Ellison, noted science fiction author, uh, sent him some ideas for a Wally West miniseries. What? Which I think is really cool. And just is like, hey, here, you could have these ideas, which, you know, unsolicited ideas, you're definitely not supposed to send people, but I think you get a pass if you're Harlan Ellison. Mm-hmm. Um, also just seems super out of character because his whole, like, mantra basically was pay the writer. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was really cool. Hmm. The other thing that comes up is there is a letter that suggests that the uninked pencils in issue two were probably just done to save time. And... The rebuttal that Wolfman has to that, I'm just going to read it verbatim because he absolutely shuts the guy down about it. And it's one of those where it's like, this seems like a disproportionate response to a fan, but also, yeah, I get it because those are fucking gorgeous pencils and were definitely an artistic decision. But he says, was George doing pencils on issue number two as a time-saving device? Ask Bob Rosakis's production department, who had to take three times as long as normal to first shoot halftones, then screen the pages, and paste up the copy. Ask George, who instead of rendering the pages in straight incline, had to carefully round out each figure, shade the art, render the backgrounds, and give it three-dimensional subtlety straight-line drawings don't have. Also ask our distributors, who had to wait an extra 30 days to receive Titans 2 because it took so much longer to draw this than issue 1. And ask George and me, who were therefore only paid for one issue of the Titans in a 60-day period, rather than two issues. Dang. (laughs) It's like, okay, I get it. Okay, okay. Yeah. And I agree with, like, it clearly was an artistic decision, and I think a very successful one. But I can also see where you might think that this was done to save time. What I can't imagine doing is writing a letter saying, like, oh, you really scrimped, you hacks. You know, Mm -hmm. like, clearly the guy was a fan of the Titans, and the rest of the letter is spent talking about how much he liked the issue. But was like, oh, I caught you cutting corners there. And uh, I actually really enjoyed that response. Mm -hmm. Yeah, shut him down for sure. He really savaged him like a real wolf man. Oh. Or, oh. (laughs) Well, let's get into the minutia, shall we? Sure. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. All right, let's get this one out of the way, sartorially speaking. Which elements of fashion in this issue did you find noteworthy? Yeah, I did not find any that actually fit the category per se, so I had to stretch a little bit. Okay. And so I had on page 16 of the reprint that I had, I don't know if it actually shows up in the original, Wally's got a shock of different colored hair that um, I think was because he was using some sun in. Oh, I think maybe uh, his experience with Trigon scared him so badly that we see him in the process of getting that uh, Bride of Frankenstein shock of white hair in Mm -hmm. his hair. Yeah. Yeah. So I had that. Okay. uh, Because that's a different sort of fashion choice sure assuming he did it on purpose and it wasn't the shock and then the other one i had is i really like even though it's kind of sad on page 18 uh raven's new sparkle look yeah she is like a uh one of those twilight vampires in the sunlight just sparkling playing baseball i mean she's not playing baseball she's more um her soul's leaving her body for good right right 
That's what you like to say. Playing baseball. <laughs> yeah. You know, same thing. Yeah. It's a good look. Right. No, uh, I agree. That is a nice, shiny look. I also had to stretch. The, the one that I came up with was, I think, just incidental art, but it's a look that we haven't really seen with Donna before, where there were a couple of panels where maybe I just haven't noticed this in the artwork before, but instead of her normal, like, line of stars going up the side of her uniform and curving around, it really looks like she is just wearing stars over her nipples as pasties, <laughs> and you can't see any stars anywhere else. Those are on pages 11 and 12. Oh. It's definitely more pronounced on the one on page 11, but it really does just look like, oh, it's like she's just drawn having yellow nipples. I never... That's a really weird choice. I never and noticed that before. I would think maybe, in general, the stars are placed differently than that. So maybe that's a holdover to her... When she was battling her dark side, she was like, oh, she has like a sexier uniform. I'm gonna... Mm. I'm gonna move these things around a little bit. Maybe... But yeah, it just seemed like an odd choice. And also, it's the fourth issue in a row that we've had the same characters wearing the same outfits. So was kind of scrabbling to find something. Well, nice job. I guess. All right. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic has a Aqualad, the greatest of all Teen Titans, and also a Beast Boy, the worst of all Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Beast Boy? I don't think it'll be a big surprise, but I had Wally the Whiner. I did too. I actually wrote down, what the fuck, buddy? Hmm. And then that made me think that that is kind of his role in the Titans. He's not like a fuck buddy, but he's like a what the fuck buddy. <laughs> you know, like a fuck buddy would be like a friend who you occasionally sleep with. A what the fuck buddy is a... This guy's my friend, but I can't actually remember why. Mm -hmm. It's just sometimes we're friend. It's a uh, it, it's a head scratcher. It's a real what the fuck, buddy. Yeah, he's the Titans. What the fuck, buddy. I think we've like had that. That's come up a couple of times on the show. This like asshole friend concept yeah. where it's just sort of always been that way. Yeah, but... he's he. They're they're a friend out of tradition, and you can't really. Remember why. I think a good phrase to describe that would be a what the fuck, buddy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's what Wally is. He's a real turd in this issue and really turns up the high-speed waffling even more than we are used to and doesn't really contribute anything other than petulance. Because I was so annoyed at him, I did really enjoy the way that the panel was drawn when Trigon stops him in his tracks because he's got those you know, Kid Flash, like, speed lines behind uh -huh. him, and then they get all, like, w wavy and jumbled, and then he looks like he's crashing into, like, uh, when somebody walks into a glass door. Right. Like, a few times in a row, maybe. <laughs> I was honestly not even sure that Trigon was doing anything, because it does talk about him having a heart problem. I think he was, like, maybe just running to confront Trigon, and then was like, oh, my heart! Hmm. It kind of seems like that's what's happening. He looks pretty goofed up in that panel, though. And that is definitely true. So I thought true. to myself, ha. Tough but fair. Conversely, who did you have as your Aqualad? Not only did she sass Wally the best out of... Not even sass, that's not the right word. She gave him what for about the horrible shit that she had seen go down on her planet and how it was really the least that they could do to do their best to mm -hmm. stop Trigon from doing the same here. So I really liked On Earth. I really liked the way that she took him to task for doing a bad job about that. Mm -hmm. Also, she saved... Uh, the Titans from the giant poop tower with her solar energy. 
if Starfire had not done that, it would have been all over. Would have been a real shit show for everybody. (laughs) Yeah, great job, Starfire. I actually went with Beast Boy. This is the second time since we've started the new Teen Titans Volume 2 that Beast Boy has been my Aqualad. Mm. And I think that might match the total from the initial 60 or so issues of this title. He turns into an elephant and rescues Dick. Mm -hmm. Did a great job there. And we were discussing before the show whether or not it is totally rad that he turns from a bird into a crocodile and then zooms himself at Trigon's eyeball. I was taking the stance that that is a fucking rad thing to do. You think he should have turned into a different animal? I think he should have turned into something much pokier, like potentially a narwhal, to do real damage to Trigon because... A trigon size, an alligator flying into his eye is at most like a like a gnat or something where it's like it's a little annoying, but it's not going to screw your day up. I think regardless of your size, having a crocodile fly into your eyeball is going to screw your whole day up. Not if you're trigon. <sighs> I disagree. I mean, his day got pretty screwed up after that. They said he barely noticed. Yeah, but I think it would have been... It was an been... annoyance. Yeah, but it's a pretty big annoyance. And I'm saying that that crocodile is going pointy side out. Like, he's got his full mouth open, just like you're catching an eyeball full of crocodile teeth. He doesn't. He's drawing mouth closed. He just got crocodile nostrils, which ostensibly aren't that pointy. Okay, but he's been uh, swimming around in muck all day. That's pretty (laughs) nasty. He's going to get fucking pink eye. He's a swamp Uh... creature, you know? He's going to give uh, Trigon a nasty case of pink eye. I'm still, like, okay, it's cool to fly into an enemy's eye and turn from one animal, the flying kind, into some other kind. Uh-huh. I just think he made a bad choice with the crocodile. I think Or it, alligator uh, or caiman or whatever it was. We'll never know. I, I mean, well, let's take a look at its teeth. I believe the, uh, the lower teeth are poking up that it's a crocodile. Let's take a look at the tail of the tape. Or just turn into a really giant bird with a beak. That'll poke the eye right out. Yeah, but, like, seeing a crocodile come at your eyeball. He doesn't even notice. Um, I think it's great. And I just uh, took a look at that panel, and those teeth are definitely poking up from the bottom, which means it's a crocodile, therefore much more terrifying. We'll agree to disagree. I don't agree to that. Were you able to find a timestamp this issue? Sort of. The closest I could get to it was that uh, at one point Trigon is standing on the Twin Towers of the Trade Center. Yeah, I had the the same thing. It's barely a timestamp. It means it took place during a 27-year period from uh, 1973 to 2001. But it was jarring to just see a depiction of the, the Twin Towers and definitely set it as not being a modern comic. Nobody's really cracking wise because it's a very heightened stakes issue. So there just wasn't a lot to choose from. I, I had the same thing. It was it was weird and surprisingly, yeah, jarring and a little bit emotionally affecting to just see a depiction of the Twin Towers like that. Yep. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozo. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you feel is worthy of highlighting? I had two. One directed at Trigon and one from Trigon. The one directed at him is my favorite, so I'll start with 
the other one, which is uh, Trigon referring to Dick right before he tries to squish him with his cane, and he says, Be gone, insect! I liked that one a lot, too. Um, That was one that I had written down. Also, we talked about how all of the Titans sassed Wally, and this isn't a direct insult, but it's definitely a diss, and I feel like this is calling Wally a bozo. When Dick says, You can do what you want, Wally. Crawl under some rock and forget what makes you special. And maybe what we do is as fruitless as you say, but we can't be true to ourselves and do anything less. I just like that. You do what you want, Wally. Why don't you crawl under a rock and hide what it is that makes you special? I know. Zing. Yeah. So I thought that was a pretty good diss. That was pretty good. But uh, my favorite, mostly just because it was kind of a... I hope it's not a reference to something that's bad, but to me it just sounded inane, and it was when Beast Boy calls Trigon Happy Boy. (laughs) (laughs) I liked that too. Yeah, I think that's just a really funny thing to call out there. (laughs) Yeah, it reminded me of, do you ever see the movie The Loved One? Uh, no. Rod Steiger plays a character in it called Joy Boy, who is a mortician. Uh, It's a really, really weird movie. Yeah, no, I liked it when he called him Happy Boy. I think my favorite is... The way that Trigon is so dismissive of the Titans, he says, A last futile resistance. Droll. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I I think that is just such a nice piece of dismissiveness. Not only in that he is like, you are nothing and you are insignificant and this is funny to me, but saying the word droll, it's like saying, oh, that's a funny joke. Mm-hmm. Just flat affect. Hefty hash. Hefty hash. Yeah, no, I, I think that was probably my favorite diss. Yeah, yeah, Trigon was pretty pretty good in this one, uh-huh, verbally. Uriadite. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite sound effect in this issue? I couldn't really discern a traditional one that stood out, so I went with the first instance of them all yelling, Titans together! Oh, yeah, I wrote down there are no sound effects in this. Or, to put it a different way, there are three no sound effects in this. <laughs> that, that is literally the only thing that could be construed as a sound effect in this issue, is three different instances of somebody yelling, No! Titans Together is written in bigger letters than all the other okay. letters. That is fair. So it sort of counts. I think that's more of a catchphrase. So we got three no's and a catchphrase. Three no's and a catchphrase. Um, I had one of the no's. There is a dick no and uh, two trigon no's. Uh, I had the final trigon no. It is as he is being apparently disintegrated by the super soaker of pure Azerathian souls. It's really nicely drawn. The edges of the panel are shaking from it. It's pretty cool. And it's above it. It says, mark this well for today. Trigon dies. And that's written in the gutter above the panel. Mm-hmm. So it it's a, it's a really thoughtful layout, and I think it really works. And yeah, the edges of the panel seem as though they are shaking apart with heavy ink, as is the word no as Trigon screams it and is disintegrated. Yeah, yeah so, good stuff. Yeah, but it, it was, I think, a really interesting choice to have there be no traditional sound effects whatsoever in this issue. Yeah, it was a heavy conclusion to a big story. Mm-hmm. Heavy indeed. And in this heavy issue, what was your favorite panel? As we said, you know, cover is amazing. Can't really count that. We mentioned, I think, in the last issue we covered how well Perez and company captured 
the range of emotion on people's faces. Mm-hmm. And uh, that definitely continues in this issue. Lots of rage and frustration and these really powerful things are captured. An instance of that is on page 13 and it's Arella's face as she's contemplating the death of her child. And it is just uh, so much yeah. anger and frustration and grief and all this stuff. It's really good drawing. It is. Yeah. One of my favorites is there is the splash page of Cyborg and Starfire destroying the tower that is above them. And yeah, I called it the uh, Titans Star Wars poster pose off splash. And it really like it looks like they are kind of reconstructing the the cover of the Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, I, I had that one written down too. I was so excited when I saw that when I showed it to Tina and I was like, look how awesome this is. And her response is, why are they so scantily clad? <laughs> I was like, oh. Because they're fighting crime. It made me realize, Elta, like what degree the ridiculousness of costumes in comic books is kind of normalized for me because I read so many of them. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, Starfire's outfit outfit is the worst yeah. choice for for space really, battle really specifically other than i don't know sunbathing or i mean i guess she's probably more aerodynamic so it's good for swimming yeah not that's and, not but like swimming through space yeah hmm. but like yeah when she swims through space or air yeah. yep it's a real yep no i had that one too though great um it is just it is really really cool looking i also had a panel on page five that I call Half Silhouette of a Toilet Tower Punch. It's just a, a half silhouette of hmm. Starfire as the Titan Tower is about to crush the Titans. And you see the shadow of it closing in on her. It's a really stylized panel. And I think it's really, really well done. Her top half is in full shadow and is just silhouette. And her bottom half is colored in. And even through the silhouette, you can see a look of determination on her face. And I think it's really well done. You think that's when she got the first whiff of the real... Yep, and she's like, I better punch this shit tower. <laughs> I had one last one, and it's uh, page 10. It's a little tiny panel um, that I call Trigon Halloween. Because it's him standing on top of the twin towers with his dragon demon things flying around. And mm-hmm. it's just all uh, black and uh, orange. It's yeah. amazing. It's also one of the titans. We don't get to see who, but I'm going to guess it's Beast Boy, is uh, speaking and makes... Almost a reverse metaphor in this, where he says, look at his demons flying like vultures, ready to pick apart our world. It's like, (laughs) no, they're flying like demons. Like, demons is more evocative than vulture. The other panel that I definitely wanted to make sure that I pointed out is on page 21, and it's Melty Face Trigon. He is caught in, like, an apparent snowstorm of souls and is screaming no, and you can start to see the flesh melting off of his face like he is sneaking peeks at the Covenant of the Ark uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah, it does Um, look like that. But it's really cool looking. There's lightning and snowstorm, and it's got all that shit going on, and you just see his face melting, and it's really well done. Yeah, again, I know I keep saying it, but the art in this is freaking... Fantastic. It's so good. And there we have the Terror of Trigon. He's dead now, so, uh, and we both know that uh, comic book characters never come back from the dead, so good riddance. Yep. We finally get to let Trigons be bygones. At long last. Well, Corey, I have but one final question I must put to you. Mm Mm-hmm. Wah-poot! In 
the year of our Lord, 1986, and the month of our Lord, April, what is Aqualad probably up to Waput? So there was a fair amount going on around the world. Lots of stuff in sports, lots of stuff in musicals, mm-hmm. uh, none of which I'm going to talk about today. Okay. But Aqualad was engaged in uh, in a few different things. And so some of our listeners will remember that he was actually part of uh, the Stonewall Uprising back in 1969, which one of the results of was uh, two years after that, New York tried to pass the first gay rights bill. It didn't really uh, see the light of day. There wasn't, I guess, the political will uh, behind it to, to do so. And that was troubling to Aqualad. It wasn't until, you know, Many years later, 1986, we find ourselves April of 1986, Koch is mayor. Turns out that uh, a close friend of Koch's really needed some some swimming guidance. Oh. And through some political connections, Koch reached out to Aqualad. Aqualad helped his friend with the swimming lessons that went swimmingly. Um, A favor was owed. And so with some nudging from Aqualad and the larger support of, of the community, uh, he was able to get Koch to agree to sign off on what would be the gay rights bill that was ratified in New York at that time against a lot of, you know, is it a tumultuous debate around it, but fortunately went through and, you know, access to housing and jobs and all that stuff that everybody should have access to was at least put into law for New York. Finally. So, Good job, Aqualad. Good job, indeed. Well, that was one thing that Aqualad was up to. One of his adventures that month started a few months before that. See, Aqualad had been hired as a diving consultant for the film Back to School. The uh, triple Lindy that Rodney Dangerfield does in that (laughs) film was, in fact, invented by one Aqualad. And he was the stuntman for it and did all of that. Uh, he had to wear a different suit to, for the Rodney Dangerfield stunts. But he was on the set of the movie. The reason he agreed to do it was because in that film, there was a cameo by one of Aqualad's favorite authors, Kurt Vonnegut. There really was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a uh, quizzical face. Rodney Dangerfield's character, Thornton Mellon III, uh, hired Kurt Vonnegut to write an essay about Kurt Vonnegut and... It got a failing grade. Oh. Hilarious Hmm. moment. But on the set, Aqualad struck up a friendship. He had, uh, Galapagos had came out the previous year, and uh, Aqualad was a big fan of that and had read a lot of his books and was delighted that he got to meet his literary idol. One day, it, it was approaching 5.30. Aqualad had been out of the water for a little bit and was like, oh, geez, I better have something to drink. And Kurt Vonnegut was like, ah, kindred spirit. At 5.30, I always have a scotch and water. And so Aqualad was like, well, I was just going to have water, but uh, yeah, well, you know what? Oh, okay. So he hung out with Kurt Vonnegut. They got to talking. And uh, one of the things that came up was Kurt Vonnegut's piece of shit son-in-law, Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> what? Yeah, no, Geraldo Rivera married Kurt Vonnegut's daughter, Edith, and uh, Kurt Vonnegut was not that thrilled about that fact. And so he's like, oh, I'd, I'd sure sure wish something shitty would happen to him. <laughs> I'd, I'd laugh and laugh. <laughs> and so in April of 1986, Aqualad got wind that uh, Geraldo Rivera had been hyping this big project he was going to do where he was going to uncover the secrets of Capone's vault. So uh, Aqualad got his friend Topo, the octopus, to sneak in there. 
octopus can squeeze through any opening smaller than its beak. Mm-hmm. So he snuck in there and Sick. and got everything out of the vault. Wow. So when Geraldo Rivera opened Al Capone's vault, it was empty. And Kurt Vonnegut and Aqualad sat back and had a good chuckle about it. Wow. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Not bad. Yeah. It was a good time. Not bad. Egg on his mustachioed face. I'll say. Thank you so much for joining us, dear listener. This was a real treat. Or was it a trick? Either way, it was a Halloween-appropriate issue. And episode. And issue. Yeah, we're both right. Hurrah! If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. I've gotten some lovely feedback from uh, you guys lately, and I always love hearing from you. If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you're using to catch this pod, then uh, I think that would be a nice thing for you to do. Other ways you can find us, we are all up over the internets. We are on, of course, LinkedIn and Grindr. But we also have Facebook page, uh, Tumblr page, uh, Twitter. There's a Twitter. Um, There's tweets. Sure. Tweets aplenty. Oh, all over the place, man. I still, this is a, dates me as an old person, but uh, there's a part of me that when I hear Twitter, um, I do think that it sounds like a drug that would be in a RoboCop movie. Oh, yeah, totally. These kids are all hopped up on Twitter. Mm -hmm. But we're all hopped up on Twitter, like the kids in a RoboCop film. Dang. But don't shoot us in the head 50 times. (laughs) Words to live by. Yeah, that was such a gnarly scene in RoboCop. Mm-hmm. We saw that at the Lilac Mall in Rochester, New Hampshire together. Holy shit. I know. We were we were young. We should not have seen that. that but sounds, that was it was you and me and Meg all went and saw that movie together by ourselves. Good for us. Yeah. We were brave adventurers. Indeed. What was the Ask him for money? Oh, okay. If you insist. <laughs> If you would like to support the show monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a bunch of bonus material. Uh, Anyone who donates gets access to a ton of uh, exclusive audio content, including the monthly podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. There are also a bunch of videos that I've made that are up. And there is, for $5 and up donors... I'm making weekly reviews of classic comics. I just put one up this last week of Amazing Adventure number 18 and talked about Killraven a bunch in that. And I might do some extra ones this week because there's a little run of comics that I want to cover when when Doctor Doom backhands and slaps the shit out of Cotton Mather, uh, which I feel like is uh, October appropriate. Hmm. But... Yeah, if you would like to donate to us there, that would really help me out, and I would appreciate it. Uh, It allows me to prioritize working on the show uh, as a means of income, and uh, that helps ensure that it keeps coming out in a prompt and tidy manner. Proper. Yes, much like popcorn chicken. We will be back next week with the conclusion of the Blue Oyster Cult saga in The Defenders. Curious how that's going to turn out. Mm Mm-hmm. And we will be back for presumably a new story arc for the new Teen Titans in two weeks. I'm curious as to what the future will bring us in that regard. Indeed. What sort of party will the city have to celebrate not being destroyed? I would assume they would have a party. Did you read ahead? I saw the cover. It looked looked like there was a parade. (laughs) Well, come back soon for our exciting parade coverage. Bye. Have fun. And they knew it. 
That's how it goes. It's a good song. Thank you.